Chapter Twenty Seven of The Shadow of the Rope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Shadow of the Rope by E. W. Hornung. Chapter Twenty Seven The Whole Truth. Have the ladies gone? Langholm had ridden a long way round through the rain in order to avoid them, nor was there any sign of the phaeton in the lane, yet these were his first whispered words across the wicket, and he would not venture to set foot upon the noisy wet gravel without Mrs. Brunton's assurance that the ladies had been gone some time. "'And they've left him a different man,' she added. "'But what have you been doing to get wet like that? Dear, 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 I do call it foolish of you.' "'Well, sir, get out of them nasty wet things, or I shall have you to nurse and all.' The kind, blunt soul bustled to bring him a large can of scalding water, and Langholm bathed and changed before going near the invalid. He also felt another man. The thorough wetting had cooled his spirit and calmed his nerves. His head still ached for sleep, but now it was clear enough. If only his duty were half as plain as the mystery that was one no more. Yet it was something to have solved the prime problem, nay, everything, since it freed his mind from concentration upon his own immediate course. But Langholm reckoned without his stricken guest next door, and went up presently, intending to stay five or ten minutes at the most. Severino lay smiling like a happy and excited child, Langholm was sorry to detect the excitement, but determined to cut his own visit shorter than ever. It was more pleasing to him to note how neat and comfortable the room was now, for that was his own handiwork, and the ladies had been there to see it. The good Bruntons had moved most of their things into the room to which they had themselves migrated. In their stead were other things which Langholm had unearthed from the lumber in his upper story— dusted, and carried down and up with his own hands. Thus at the bedside stood a real Chippendale table with a real Delft vase upon it, filled with such roses as had survived the rain. A drop of water had been spilt upon the table from the vase, and there was something almost fussy in the way that Langholm removed it with his handkerchief. "'Oh,' said Severino, "'she quite fell in love with the table you found for me, "'and Mrs. Woodgate wanted the vase. "'They were wondering if Mrs. Brunton would accept a price.' "'They don't belong to Mrs. Brunton,' said Langholm shortly. "'No? Mrs. Woodgate said she had never noticed them in your room. "'Where did you pick them up?' Langholm looked at the things, lamps of remembrance alight beneath his lowered eyelids. The table came from a little shop in Bushy Heath, in Hertfordshire, you know. We—I was spending the day there once. You had to stoop to get in at the door, I remember. The vase is only from Great Portland Street. The prices were upon his lips. Both had been bargains, a passing happiness and pride. I must remember to tell them when they come to-morrow, said Severino. They are the sort of thing a woman likes. "'They are,' agreed Langholm, his lowered eyes still lingering on the table and the vase. "'The sort of thing a woman likes. "'So these women are coming again to-morrow, are they?' "'The question was quite brisk when it came. "'Yes, they promised. "'Both of them, eh?' "'Yes, I hope so.' "'The sick man broke into eager explanations. "'I only want to see her, Langholm. "'That's all I want. "'I don't want her to myself. "'What is the good?' 
To see her and be with her is all I want, ever. It has made me so happy. It is really better than if she came alone. You see, as it is, I can't say anything that matters. Do you see? Perfectly, said Langholm gently. The lad lay gazing up at him with great eyes. Langholm fancied their expression was one of incredulity. Twilight was falling early with the rain. The casement was small and further contracted by an overgrowth of creeper. Those two great eyes seemed to shine the brighter through the dusk. Langholm could not make his visit a very short one after all. He felt it would be cruel. "'What did you talk about, then?' he asked. A small smile came with the answer. "'You.' "'Me? What on earth had you to say about me?' "'I heard all you had been doing.' "'Oh, that.' "'You know you didn't tell me that evening in town.' "'No, I was only beginning then. "'It seemed some months ago, more months since that very afternoon. "'Have you found out anything?' "'Langholm hesitated. "'Yes. Why should he lie?' "'Do you mean to say that you have any suspicion who it is?' "'Severino was on his elbow.' "'More than a suspicion, I am certain. There can be no doubt about it. A pure fluke gave me the clue, but every mortal thing fits it.' Severino dropped back upon his pillow. Langholm seemed glad to talk to him, to loosen his tongue, to unburden his heart ever so little. And indeed he was glad. "'And what are you going to do about it?' "'That's my difficulty.' She must be cleared before the world, that is the first duty, if it can be done without making bad almost worse. Bad? Worse? How could it, Langholm? No answer. Who do you say it is? No answer again. Langholm had not bargained to say anything to anybody just yet. Severino raised himself once more upon an elbow. I must know, he said. Langholm rose, laughing. "'I'll tell you who I thought it was at first, said he heartily. "'I don't mind telling you that, because it was so absurd, "'and I think you'll be the first to laugh at it. "'I was idiot enough to think it might be you, my poor dear chap.' "'And you don't think so still?' asked Severino harshly. "'He had not been the first to laugh. "'Of course I don't, my dear fellow. "'I wish you would sit down again.' That's better. So you know it is someone else? So far as one can know anything. And you are going to try to bring it home to this man? I don't know. The police may save me the trouble. I believe they are on the same scent at last. Meanwhile I have given him as fair a warning as a man could wish. Severino lay back yet again in silence and deep twilight. His breath came quickly. A shiver seemed to pass through the bed. "'You needn't have done that,' he whispered at last. "'I thought it was the fair thing to do. Yet you needn't have done it, because your first idea was right.' "'Right?' echoed Langholm densely. "'My first idea was right?' "'You said you first thought it was I who killed her husband. "'It couldn't have been.' but it was. 
Langholm got back to his feet. He could conceive but one explanation of this preposterous statement. Severino's sickness had extended to his brain. He was delirious. This was the first sign. "'Where are you going?' asked the invalid querulously, as his companion moved towards the door. "'When was the doctor here last?' demanded Langholm in return. There was silence for a few moments, and then a faint laugh that threatened to break into a sob from the bed. "'I see what you think. How can I convince you that I have all my wits about me? I'd rather not have a light just yet, but in my bag you'll find a writing-case. It is locked, but the keys are in my trousers' pocket. In my writing-case you will find a sealed envelope, and in that a fuller confession than I shall have breath to make to you. Take it downstairs and glance at it, then come back. No, no, said Langholm hoarsely. No, I believe you. Yes, it was my first idea. I hardly knew what I was doing, Severino whispered. I was delirious then, if you like, yet I remember it better than anything else in all my life. I have never forgotten it for an hour, since it first came back. You really were unconscious for days afterwards? I believe it was weeks. Otherwise, you must know, she will be the first to believe. I could never have let her. My poor dear fellow, of course, of course. Langholm felt for the emaciated hand and stroked it as though it had been a child's. Yet that was the hand that had slain Alexander Minchin and Langholm thought of it, and still his own was almost womanly in the tender pity of its touch. "'I want to tell you,' the sick lad murmured. "'I wanted to tell her. God knows it. And that alone was why I came to her the moment I could find out where she was. No, no, not that alone. I am too ill to pretend any more. It was not all pretense when I let you think it was only passion that drove me down here.' I believe I should have come, even if I had had nothing at all to tell her, only to be near her, as I was this afternoon. But the other made it a duty. Yet when she came this afternoon I could not do my duty. I had not the courage. It was too big a thing just to be with her again. And then the other lady. I thanked God for her, too, for she made it impossible for me to speak. But to you I must, especially after what you say." The man came out in Langholm's ministrations. One minute, he said, and returned in two or three with a pint of tolerable champagne. I keep a few for angels' visits, he explained, but I am afraid I must light the candle. I will put it at the other side of the room. Do you mind the tumbler? Now drink and tell me only what you feel inclined, neither more nor less." "'It is all written down,' began Severino, in better voice, for the first few drams, how I first heard her singing through the open windows in the summer, only last summer, how she heard me playing, and how afterwards we came to meet. She was unhappy, he 